preach today. You will get later. But today I want to talk about God wants to be your friend. He really does want to be your friend. Book of Genesis chapter 3. You know, friendship's a great word. It conjures up in our mind warm feelings of affection that we have towards someone. Friendship is one who is united in purpose and in cause. Usually when we think of friendship, we think of support. And there's a a level of intimacy that's deeper than just average acquaintances. Friendship can also speak of common interests or common goals. Friends are something that we value. They're something precious. Yet even among friends, we seem to have different levels of friends. We have casual friends, we have close friends, and then we have best friends. When it comes to putting into words how we define friendship, we often and many think of very positive things. In real life, though, it's often in times of trouble or times of distress or difficulty where friendship gets defined. On one hand, friends are those who we like to have around us when we celebrate or share joy, become part of a good memory that's coming up in our lives. But when times of trouble arise and times of difficulty come into our lives, and it seems that all we have are bad days, and those bad days turn into bad seasons. That's usually when you find out really who your friends are and what friendship is all about. We call those people who are only around us when the sun is shining and when good things are happening and when it's a very celebration or party-oriented atmosphere, we call them fair-weather friends. And, but we call those who are there for us no matter what, no matter what we're going through, no matter what I'm becoming or what kind of emotional upheaval I'm in, people who are with us at all times, no matter what, we call them rare I'm going to talk a lot today about friendship, but first, I want to focus on the fact that God wants to be your friend. Our relationship with him, our friendship with him, he wants a friendship with you. We talk about in the church a relationship with God, and that's the reality of that any two people can have a relationship, and we want that with him. Now, I'm sure many people know you have all kinds of relationships in your life. Some of them are good relationships, and some of them are not so good relationships. Then we move from relationship and go to fellowship. And that usually requires more effort. It tends to be much more positive. In the church, it usually revolves around food. And yet fellowship can at times be very surface and superficial. But the best relationship is that which is called friendship. True friendship, because you can't fake it. You're either a true friend or you're not. It's a mutual thing. It requires an agreement, and it goes deeper. And it's important that we learn to move beyond superficial relationships. 
and get into friendships. So many people in this world have relationships that they're just putting on airs for. Only want people to see them at their best. But that's not the relationship God wants with you. How many realize God sees you all the time? Even when you're not at your best. It's an illustration I've always loved. For those that grew up in a home that had a formal dining room, it's an interesting room. It's where the good china is, the special silverware, where all the glasses match, where you have the special napkins with those rings around them that, from my perspective, really serve no purpose whatsoever. But then to hold the napkins in place. And usually when you come to the dining room table for a meal, you dress a little differently, you maybe sit up a little better, and it's much more of a formal and nice-looking occasion. Yet the conversation at the dining room table is usually on the surface. We don't get into the deeper things of life in this formal setting because we want everything to be nice and look nice. Then there's the kitchen table. The glasses don't match. Some of them may be those old Flintstone jelly jars. Hopefully somebody besides me remembers those. The silverware doesn't match. It was what was on sale at one supermarket and then what was on sale at another supermarket. The dishes don't match either. But it was at the kitchen table where life happened, where discussions about real life went on. God's not interested in your dining room table. He wants to be with you at the kitchen table. He doesn't care that everything looks nice. He doesn't care that the glasses all match or the silverware matches or the dishes match. He doesn't care that the good table spread is out. What he cares about is a relationship that is real and deals with every issue in life, the good and the not so good. God wants to be your friend. Now, yes, he wants to be with you to share times of joy and, and times of fulfillment in times of happiness. But he wants to be with you and share times also of pain and disappointment and failure, especially when you've really, really blown it. Now, I know nobody here has ever really, really blown it. But in the story we're about to read in Genesis 3, they really, really blow it. We see people who just blow it in mammoth proportions. And we also see God still wanting to be with them and to talk to them and, in a sense, to be a friend. Genesis chapter 3, I'll begin reading in verse number 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took it of its fruit and ate it. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. 
and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. Then the Lord called to Adam and said, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Let's stop there. God offered humanity everything. And we turned it away. Friends are there for one another just because. True friendships aren't, aren't preoccupied with equity. Are we being fair or equal? Friends just do for each other because they're friends. God demonstrated his friendship with Adam, his desire for Adam and Eve, and he gave them a perfect paradise. And man got focused away from God. The serpent tempted Eve and by showing her three things about the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was good for food. It was pleasant to the eyes. And it was desirable to make one wise. Let's look at those three. It was good for food. My comment is, so what? What difference does it make that it was good for food? It was on the God said do not touch list. God had given them everything, every other tree, every other type of nourishment, every other type of thing to take in. And he said, please don't touch that. But they saw that it was good for food. But it wasn't part of God's plan for their lives at that moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. One of the difficult things that friends do for one another is guidance in this area. Things that are lawful, but things that are not helpful. There are so many people who, when they stray into areas that are clearly not good for them, their comment is, well, it's not what's bad about it. That's not the perspective. It should be what's good about it. It should be, does God want this for me? It should be, is this where I'm supposed to be? Is this his will for my life? Not just, it's not that bad. God's got a plan and a purpose. It was good for food. She also said it was pleasant to the eyes. Looks okay. I've often been criticized for being what some would call overly cautious. Let it be known it's a criticism I enjoy. Because there is a danger in being impulsive. There is a danger in not thinking things through. There is a danger in going just on how things look. Appearances can be deceiving. When the sons of Jesse came by the prophet, David was the least looking like a king. And God made it clear, let those other boys go. They may look keenly, but that's not what I want. I want one with a desire in their heart after me. 
Paul says, I will not let anything, not even lawful things, have power over me. We need to be clear as Christians that I belong to Jesus, not my own pleasures, not my own desires, not my own definition of freedom. I belong to the Lord. So just because it looks okay doesn't mean it really is okay. It was, the food was, uh, it was good for food. It was pleasant to the eyes. And worst of all, it was desirable to make one wise. Newsflash, there's only one way to get wise, and that's God's way. It's a wonderful saying I found. Experience may make one knowledgeable, but only God can make one wise. She saw this tree as a way of becoming wise, basically as a way of becoming wise her own way and their own way. Through my efforts, I will determine how I gain wisdom and how I'm able to become wise. There's only one way in God's word that any of us become wise, and it's through obedience to God's word. Proverbs chapter 1, verse number 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You want wisdom? Learn to worship God. You want wisdom? Learn to honor God. And most importantly, you want wisdom? Learn to obey God in what his word says. In the body of Christ, friends are going to be those people who that will agree to be there to help you stay focused. Not just to help you have a party. Not just to focus on what is lawful, but also what is helpful for you. Being cautious and not just motivated by what it looks like. And getting wisdom and experience God's way. Yet Adam and Eve still blew it. They ate of the tree that God told them not to. They directly disobeyed and com- the, the direct command of the Lord. And be- Cause of this, sin entered the world. Now, for a moment, place yourself in God's shoes. I know that's a foreign concept to any of us, because none of us like to play God in any situation. But for a moment, just place yourself in God's shoes. You've just made the perfect creation. Everything works and is in perfect balance. The harmony between the plant kingdom and the animal kingdom and humanity is perfect. All is as you wish it to be. You provide abundantly for food in all areas for all. And you give one simple instruction. And it's gone. Now, how would you react? Don't answer it because you're going to be more pious than you really would be but you probably wouldn't react the way God did. What's your first reaction when somebody close to you blows it? What's your first reaction when someone even not so close to you blows it? Especially in the lives of those you call friends. What's your first response? God's first reaction to, to the sinner, because God hates sin, but his first reaction to the sinner is a question. Where are you? Adam tried to hide. He probably felt that everything was over, that he blew it, he knew it, he felt it, he sensed it. 
this wonderful friendship of being able to walk with God in the cool of the day. He must have believed it was gone and that God probably hates him now. And I can't stand that phrase when I hear people say it. So many people I know in so many different walks of life, because of what they've experienced, they actually believe God hates them. Let me make this clear. God doesn't hate you. He loves you. And the symbol behind me on the wall proves that God loves you. No, his first reaction is a question. For you and I, our first reaction would be a statement, probably in the form of an accusation. And if the first, question, the first comment out of our mouths when someone close to us has blown it is a question, it's probably the question, you did what? But he inquired of him. He wanted to hear Adam tell his side. Now, this is God talking. He knew what had happened. Does anyone believe God didn't know where he was? Yet he asked, where are you? No matter how things look, I still want to hear you out, Adam. That's the friendship God wants with you. And not just where are you placed, but Adam, where are you conditioned? This is the type of friend God is the type of friend that we need to be to one another. We should ask questions before reaching conclusion, even if the facts are obvious. It doesn't matter how much you and I think we know about a person or how much you and I think we know about a situation. We need to be people who ask questions. And sadly, from my perspective, Christians are just known way too much for just making statements. Without, without asking questions. Adam responded, I'm naked and I'm hiding. And all he was looking at was the results of the sin, not the sin itself, not the disobedience itself. I've sinned and I've reaped the end results of my sin. And God's response to that was another question. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree? Now again, does anyone believe God didn't know the answers to these questions? God's response to your messes, God's response when you blow it, God's response when we fall away from obeying his word is going to be a question. One that's demonstrating his friendship and his desire from the moment of us blowing it that he wants to begin a path for you and me that's going to involve repentance to come back to a full relationship with God. God is your friend. He is not your accuser. Let me make it clear. You have an accuser. You have an enemy, but it's not God. God is not your accuser. He wants to be your friend. God's responses to our messes and our times of disappointment, times when we blow it, is friendship. Demonstrated. By questions. When David blew it in his sin with Bathsheba, God sent the prophet Nathan to make it clear that you blew it, pal. And yet God provided a path for King David to come back into a right relationship with the Lord. There were consequences to his sin. But one of them wasn't expulsion from the presence of God permanently. So many people believe, 
I can never be with God ever again. I've just made too many mistakes. With God, there's no such thing as too many mistakes. With him, there's just too much blood from the cross to cover all of that. And one thing that's interesting to me about this story, and there are parallels in other stories in the Bible, even though Adam sinned, and at this moment he's hiding, so he's not in a repentant state, he still hears the voice of God. You know, I do tend to give a lot of leeway and a lot of understanding to those who are outside the family of faith because they don't have the Holy Spirit living inside them. They're not going to understand a lot of things. But when someone who's not a Christian says, I don't hear God's voice, I wish he would speak to me. I'm sorry, God is speaking to you. Are you listening? Are you listening? Adam was in an unrepentant state, and yet he still heard the voice of God. We have this idea that in order to hear God's voice, I've got to be perfect, and I've got to be completely holy, and I've got to be this super Christian. I've got to get all of my life in order and all of everything changed, and I've got to be in a place where that when I walk into a church building, it won't go on fire. And I've made this, play, this point clear. I promise you, nobody walking into this building will set it on fire. And even if I'm wrong and that did, we pay for a wonderful fire suppression system. <laughs> Things will come out of the ceiling and begin spraying water everywhere. No, God doesn't hate you. God loves you. You don't have to get your life in order before you come to him. Coming to him is how you get your life in order. I don't have to be at the deliberate, intentional place of repentance before God will speak to me. No, he will speak to you and come to you right where you are. As he did to the apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. Paul was not in a repentant state. He was heading to see more Christians killed and more Christians jailed and to try to destroy this new philosophy that had come into Jerusalem. And in that state, God got a hold of him and basically came to him and gave him a question. Why are you persecuting me? Again, a question. He didn't come to Paul and say, you filthy, rotten person, you. Could have. Many of us would have done that. Yo, Saul, I really got a problem with you right now. So knock it off before I smack you around a little bit. That's not what God said to Paul. He said, why are you doing this? Why are you persecuting me? Adam and Eve had lost a lot. They lost intimacy with God. They lost the ability to walk in life with confidence and a childlikeness and go through life without any sense of fear or shame that plagues so many today. But one thing they did not lose, and one thing I won't accept from anybody, Christian or non-Christian today, when they say, I don't hear from God. God is speaking. Are you listening? 
They didn't lose the ability to hear from God. If Adam didn't lose the ability to hear from God, if Saul of Tarsus was able to hear from God, then you and I can as well. When they heard him the first time, they ran and hid. Now, some of us consider ourselves generous and gracious and benevolent, so we'll extend ourselves to someone who's been not so nice to us. Yet, if the first time we extend ourselves, they run away or ignore our gracious intent, we're like, okay, you're gone, you're done. But Adam, when he heard God's voice, ran and hid, and God spoke to him again. And he heard it again. His actions did not stop God's pursuit, nor did it stop him from calling Adam back to a relationship. Maybe Adam was thinking to himself, well, maybe God won't come by today. Maybe he'll take a day off. Maybe we can avoid God. Yeah, good luck with that, trying to avoid God. Maybe they hoped that he wouldn't come around today. Because after all, God's busy. How many times have I heard that? I don't want to bother God with my problems because he's busy. People, he's God. (laughs) The mere definition of God is that he's never going to be busy. But God will always be there. He will never leave you alone. His voice, like the cool breeze in the still of the day, will always be there calling out to you, calling out to me, showing how much he cares, how much he loves you, and how much he wants to be your friend. You can try and run away, as Adam did. You can try and turn away. But my question is, if you're trying to run away from God, where are you going to go? Psalm 139, verses we all know well, verse number 7 is where I begin reading. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. What impresses me about that psalm is not just that wherever I go, God is, but wherever I go, he's going to lead me and hold me and guide me and embrace me and love me even when I'm at my worst. We need to tell the unbelieving today that God loves them. He loves them and cares for them. And he's calling to them. But we have to believe that for our lives as well. Church, God is calling to the church today. He's calling the church to come back to a right relationship. He's calling the church to be not so concerned with politics and be more concerned with the word of God. He's calling the church today to be focused on the fact that we're Christians above any other identification. I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Yes, my physical passport says I am a citizen of this country, but first and foremost, my citizenship is in heaven, in the kingdom of almighty God. Because in that kingdom is my friend. God is my friend. What a peace that provides. You know, often, especially in those wonderful, socially acceptable high school years, 
And please hear the sarcasm in my voice when I say that. Friendship gets defined by what group you're in. The cool kids, or the athletic kids, or the music kids, or different cliques that arise in our high schools today. Aren't you glad there's only one clique in heaven? It's Christians. Everybody. And he wants everyone to feel welcomed. God wants to be your friend and proves that by placing himself wherever it is you could ever possibly think of running. He's always going to be there. He will always go with you. Now, let's be honest. Sometimes when we're at our worst, we want to turn to God and say, could you please leave me alone? I really don't want to be with you right now. And the godly response, although it doesn't sound very godly, is too bad. Because wherever you go, he's going to be there. God, I just want to be alone. I don't want to be with you right now. Find another planet or some other existence. Because on this one, wherever you go, God is going to be there. Wherever you go, he's going to not only be there, but to guide you. And to hold you. And to embrace you. So the question I want to end with today is the one that, the first comment that God made to Adam after they ate of the fruit of the tree of, the good, of good and evil. Where are you? What has the enemy told you about God? One thing you can be certain, whatever the enemy has told you about God, it's a lie. Or it's something that's worse than a lie. It's a half-truth. God wants you to know that he's here in your presence. Well, I'm going to then walk over there. He's there. I'm going to drive to the beach. Guess what? He's there. I'm going to get in a plane and go to another country. Oops, sorry. He's there. He will be everywhere because that's where you and I need him to be because we're lost without him. We're completely lost without him. God wants to be your friend. But pastor, you don't know what I've done. God does. You don't know what I've been through. God does. You don't know the people I've hurt. God does. And he still wants to be your friend. You don't know the lies that I've embraced. God does. And he still calls in the cool of the day. And he's still calling to people now. Stand with me, please.